0: This episode was conducted by guest host, Will Cho. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Australian Startup Series interviews. Our guest today is Marcus Kalbetzer. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Thanks, Will. So to start us off, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you're currently working on? My name is Marcus
1: Kalbetzer. I've been involved in, I guess, the startup ecosystem for for well over a decade now, and and currently the CEO and founder of Bridgeline, which is the same place I've been for the last 13 years. (laughs)
0: What did the ecosystem look like when you first started about 10 years ago? Yes,
1: yeah, so, I mean, I probably started in 2010, and um well, be 2010, 2012. It was definitely a lot smaller, as, as obviously, you know, everybody would know. There were a few co-working communities. One would have been Fishburners, Blue Chili as an incubator, a few VCs, Blackbird was, I think, had just gotten started six months prior, and, you know, a few other VCs that had been around the market for a while, but but not many of the uh, of the current players.
0: Yeah. And I'd love to walk through um, your journey over the last 10 years because um, I, I know that you're also the founder of Tang Stream Labs, was it? Yes. Yeah. Could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So Tangstream Stream Labs started in, in 2012, um,
1: which was we just had our 10 year anniversary. And that was on the back of meeting two other founders that I had met through a previous company we had backed named a Mason, which was a mobile virtual network operator that launched. Um, and then they subsequently went out to to found AirTasker, Tim Fung and Jonathan Louis, And we had an empty floor in our building here in Bridge Street and decided that it was a, a good idea to, to populate it. We um, had made a small investment in AirTasker and they had a lot of Inquiry about filling up the space from other like-minded individuals who were trying to get, you know, their own gig started. So um, we turned that into something more formal, and, and it's grown now from being a little corner on on you know a, f- a small floor to over eight thousand
0: square meters of co-working space with eight hundred plus desks. Wow, that's amazing, Marcus. Would you say that you've always been an entrepreneur? Yeah. Even towards university days? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What attracted you to this space?
1: Um. Well. I've, I've been involved in family business for my entire career and I think um, probably just my generational, uh, I guess, age with regard to the rest of my family, I was probably a bit more keen to look at innovation and startups. I've always had a bit of a curiosity around it and always keen to prove that, you know, I could I could potentially build something myself. Um, you know, I've been not only an investor, uh, which is probably what I'm better known for, but more, more so as well as a, as a founder and entrepreneur building startups myself, um, which I'll get to later on in terms of, you know, what are some learnings and what are some main take-home points.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you first delved into the ecosystem back in twenty ten to twenty twelve, after being in the family business, did, did you find that there was a lot of support structures that you were able to rely on, and um, in essence penetrate the the ecosystem without much difficulty? Uh, well, I think you know it was so small. It
1: you know it didn't take much to kind of get involved. I mean, everybody was after funding essentially. Um, there, you know, there weren't many many investors and. Um, there were some structures that were in place, which are still in place today. And I probably said, namely the ESVCLP structure, which is, you know, capital gains tax concession. I think, you know, many people have talked about that, especially on your podcast as well. So that was, you know, that was around R&D tax concessions, which, you know, were giving you back almost half of the money that you'd invested in R&D back. So there were some government structures which were, you know, financial and, and, and helped startups get off the ground, but but really it was funding um, and there was a lack of funding from, I guess, professional investors, you know, there was always still relying on family and friends and yeah, was, I guess it's fairly low barriers to entry in that space and it didn't take long to to kind of enter by meeting a few individuals and networking and was able to get yourself launched relatively quickly as an investor. Yeah. Do you think there is still an absence of funding even today? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think it's more a function that, you know, we've grown um, quite considerably over the last decade. And, and obviously, we have in a very different um, position to, to where we were. And, you know, it's great to see so many different success stories coming, different sizes, um, different, I guess, subsectors of, of the innovation space. But fundamentally, you know, I think that they still exist today. And the funding gaps at the early stage to support the ecosystem is, is still there whilst we have plenty of funding later stage through, you know, bigger investors, bigger VC funds, which which have grown, um, as well as institutional capital, which is starting to enter the market, and we still have this gap, uh, potentially at the back as a proportion of total funding, early stage seed and series A is smaller today, uh, proportionally to the total funding in the market.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds like it was never a, a startup problem or a founder problem because we we have an abundance of those, as you mentioned, with the growth over the last ten years. But um, why hasn't the funding matched in tandem? Why has Australia not, you know, provided that funding? Um, I mean, I think the funding has, you know,
1: undeniable that it's grown ex- extremely quickly, and now I think you know there's lots of examples. But I, I just fundamentally think as as investors continue to make gains, and and um, they are trying to invest across the full spectrum from from seed and and even you know pre seed all the way to you know late stage rounds and growth rounds, but fundamentally, I think the quantum of money is still going to those later stages more from the support from again institutional and professional pension funds. Or, or you know, future funds so forth, are are investing in those later stages. Even from you know, I guess international VCs as well, they're not participating early on. And I think you know we need more more support at that earlier stage, so that you know we can continue to prop it up and, and continue to have more and more um, positive
0: success stories coming through the market. Yeah, I hear you. It's it's later stage startups that are essentially taking the lion's share of the funding available. Yeah, as a proportion. Yeah, absolute
1: terms, both both sectors have grown, you know, quite a bit.
0: Hmm. Has it been what you expected it to be the growth over the last ten years?
1: No, probably not. I mean, I was just looking at a uh, you know our pitch deck for Tankstream Ventures Fund One, which was launched in twenty fourteen and. You know, we had in there that you know some of the success stories were you know Seek and um, Big Commerce and Zero had had would and a few others and and Atlassian was about to do an IPO in Nasdaq and it was you know had a, a one billion plus valuation to it. So you know that was that was twenty fourteen. If we look back to say pre COVID and even the last two years through COVID, you know I would have never thought that. Those companies themselves would have evolved, but have obviously a huge quantum of other players that weren't even really being named six to eight years ago that are now you know bigger than those and you know some of the biggest you know startups in the world in terms of in terms of being you know unicorns and, and Canva you know being probably one of the largest unlisted startups in the world well unlisted tech
0: companies in the world. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, the growth that we've experienced. I think it's it's yeah, really yeah, funny yeah less than 10 years ago right it's six eight years ago yeah it feels like an eternity ago but at the same time yeah. it feels like so recent <laughs> that's right that's right shifting gears a little bit what would you say that we do really well compared to other geographies
1: yeah i think that's hard you know i mean we've always picked on ourselves in terms of what we don't do and, and how we should continue to improve ourselves to to continue to be better um but generally i mean i, I do think those support structures that we have in place from from the cap, you know capital gains tax incentives on the ESVC um, is always something that you know when he spoke to foreigners they they were quite surprised that we had that um, in place and I think you know that's been that's been great to see and and see it continue to be you know important at least to to the venture capital um, environment. There's a lot more things that can be done, but I also think that just the drive, the Australian drive to to want to Succeed, and I think early on we you know we talked about ten years ago. We used to say that you know there was a real I guess animosity towards failure, and and you know, people didn't come forward with it and so much so forth. But I think you know we've been able to evolve as an ecosystem and as as founders to be able to you know adapt, take those things uh, in our stride, and and continue to evolve. I guess as a, as a society and as a culture. So now we're know we're, we're not so shy about about
0: giving it a go. Mm-hmm. The role of government uh, seems to be a theme that regularly pops up with other founders that we've interviewed. It seems like, from what I'm hearing, that you're, you're really, I guess, happy with the ESV CLP structures. Is there anything else that you believe the government should be doing from a policy perspective, or do you think that their support is sufficient?
1: no no i I definitely think there should be more done and you know i think it has been mentioned as well on your podcast that that I, i think the the capital gains incentives have been great and whilst they're great there's a lot of individuals out there who are amazing investors um and maybe not amazing fundraisers but they they can do wonders for startups if they are able to get in early and i think you know an incentive is to to, to let these people who are taking significant financial risks and and even time to be able to get capital gains concessions on, on those investments, whilst that may not help you know early stage venture funds in terms of having other people being able to compete, um, well not not invest in their fund because they don't need to anymore from a capital gains point of view they um, they would be able to provide a lot of expertise and and you know I guess solidify the mentorship or advice that a lot of these investors tend to give to startups when they when they're seeking those very early rounds so basically more support from the individual investors do you
0: have any unpopular opinions about our ecosystem something you believe is true but others aren't on the same page
1: i probably have to say yeah this is one maybe with a caveat on it but i think the asx has actually you know done a pretty good job of of trying to get tech startups exited and to the market having said that i think the lion's share the ones that you do see go through probably aren't ready and potentially hurt the you know ability for other startups to exit or use the asx and and obviously the public market to access equity you know i think some of them just aren't ready and tend to burn through a lot of um you know mom and dad's money and and um you know make poor investment choices when the reality is you know the ASX could be could be a bit more of a guardian on that so just from the exit point of view i think uh, a lot of people tend to tend to think that you need to go to the u.s and pretty much find either investors to continue to back you over there which you know it's no longer the case you can find plenty of investment here whether you know in case you know you want to stay private and so forth but but if there is Kind of the the opportunity to to make an exit as a founder or or as investors or access a different market. I think the ASX has
0: done a relatively good job. Yeah, could you tell me more about what you meant by the ASX uh, acting more of a guardian?
1: Oh, uh, well, I, th- I
0: think they need to have
1: a bit more regulation in terms of you know what what's able to be listed or what should be listed. Um, they do have a lot of obviously thresholds that that. Companies need to cross from you know being a widely widely held register to minimum requirements from financial point of view. But I think some of the businesses just yeah that those are things that you can get around. And I think some of the businesses might be flawed or or just not ripe enough to 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 take it to that point. You know, last thing you want to do is is really list as a small cap or you know micro cap. And once you get to that stage, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to come back. So I think you know we could be set, setting the companies up or, or not not accepting them and telling them to, to stay private longer to be able to achieve a positive outcome when they do get
0: there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if this is the right take on this because one of, for context, one of the challenges that I hear um, other entrepreneurs mention on this podcast is when our founders decide to exit overseas and sell to overseas companies. That means the talent pool, the resources, and so on just go overseas. Um, do you think exiting via the ASX could be a potential solution to that? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not so sure that when they do exit overseas that
1: the talent pool necessarily leaves. There's plenty of examples where the talent pool – has partially stayed here, if, if not, you know, maybe they, they, they've grown whilst they've sought extra funding or exited uh, and, and that extra funding has allowed them to grow their teams and maybe they've grown their teams internationally. But I think, you know, the, you know, I guess the support that's provided today in Australia from, you know, our education sector in terms of uh, the quality of it, as well as people wanting to stay here, is probably changed and I think it's in a much better position. Um, but yeah, definitely, I mean, I think if, if companies can fund themselves here through the ASX or through larger funds or international funds, you know, looking towards Australia or pension funds here supporting us, then, you know, I think absolutely, you know, that'll keep everybody here for longer and, and continue to evolve that ecosystem. And those people that stay here and hold senior jobs in companies that are growing and becoming bigger, then they come back and it turns into, I guess, the, the full circle
0: yeah absolutely I, I like what you mentioned about how our talent pool doesn't necessarily go overseas just because we do have quite a good magnet in a, in keeping people here whether it be lifestyle or
1: education that's right that's right i mean it's pretty pretty hard to find somebody that says they don't like living in you know sydney or melbourne or brisbane or wherever they are
0: <laughs> yeah so marcus uh, as you know what we're trying to do in this podcast is to document as historically as possible the history of our ecosystem just so that we can look to the future and we're aiming to reach all corners from founders, investors, policymakers, and academics. Is there anything we haven't discussed today that is always top of mind for you that you want to bring to their attention? Well, I'm not sure what, what's what been talked about not before, but
1: I think, you know, again, there's extra support from, from all kind of facets of the ecosystem. So that's, you know, government, education providers, so universities and the private sector being VCs and larger startups. And I think that all needs to be tied together a bit better and i think maybe universities are the one that's missing in that link to the degree when you compare it with with the us and maybe what stanford has has meant to silicon valley and, and other universities in australia in in the us to their i guess sub, sub ecosystems that's probably the the main thing from advice i guess from my point of view is i think we've gotten to the point where we have a lot of founders who are becoming investors, founders who have succeeded, founders who have failed, investors who have succeeded, investors who have failed. And I think, you know, that's extremely important for, for us to continue to evolve. And I think, you know, whilst failing is, is, you know, not something you congratulate people for, it's good to have. And I think we're now at that point where we have a lot more diversity, you know, within our ecosystem and it's really, I guess, healthy. It's healthy and, you know, provides so many more experiences i mean we all know we learn much more through experiences than through you know education um and,
0: and you know i think that's critical now i'm not sure if i've answered that one correctly but i think that's that's pretty much it <laughs> no i like it um my, my my question when when you described having universities being tied together i suppose what you're referring to there is is collaboration between universities and startups right absolutely yeah yeah why do universities not collaborate as much with startups compared to as you mentioned with the United States with Stanford University. It's a good question.
1: You know, I think part of it's you know, it's you know, they don't move fast, right? We don't have as many universities. You know, they're definitely they're definitely large and and they're large institutions. And you know, just as we were talking now, I mean, I guess this whole. You know, we keep talking about when did the ecosystem start and so forth. I mean, I think it's the next wave of the ecosystem that we've been talking about just now. I mean, more in terms of Web point two rather than you know, you know, there's always been innovation, but I think this Web two or say to 2014 to now, um, 2012 2014 to now, the universities just haven't been able to move that fast and and to be able to you know take stock of you know where they could be helping more and so forth. And, you know, they're still quite fragmented, you know, um, different faculties don't necessarily so talk to each other and it's up to the university to pull all that together and, and then, you know, come back to the market somehow to, to help. But I think there are there are changes that are taking place. And I think there's some, you know, larger, larger venture investors that are trying to, you know, close that gap as well through programs that they're trying to facilitate and you know i think that's just a matter of time rather than an error or or anything on behalf of of anybody
0: yeah absolutely uh lastly marcus if a brand new founder or entrepreneur came to you given all your wins your uh, mistakes and your experience what would you tell them to increase their chances of success
1: yeah i mean i think it's it's what i mentioned earlier i mean i've i've been a founder i've started startups myself um and been an investor as well and i've you know, had failures on both, and more failures as a founder. And I think um, just being able to to live through those experiences and and realize that that they're all learnings is important. But then also think focus, and I think you know trying to really not not down what what you want to achieve is 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 extremely important, and be determined and motivated on that goal rather than trying to juggle many things. You know, I sometimes I say that you know I'm a jack of all, master of none, but I think when you tend to you know, focus on trying to master something and be really good at it then you, know, you, you have obviously much greater chances of success so I'd, I'd say those two things one is 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 learn from your experiences and whether they're positive or negative that's fine and, and really focus when you when you think you've got something you, you want
0: to do to be determined and motivated and, and really nut it out yeah i love that marcus it's been so good to have you on the show today thank you so much for your time thanks a lot will where could the audience go if they wanted to learn more and connect with you they
1: could go on twitter Calbetzer is my handle there linkedin and bridgeline um, has a website bridgeline.com.au plenty
0: of information on there and what's next for you and your journey
1: so right now we're doing a new fund so it's i guess our bridgeline ventures fund three which is a combination of bridgeline and tankster Ventures, which was our subsidiary so Um, we're bringing that um, all under one name to make it a bit easier to to understand and and that's that's where we're going to be headed for the rest of the year